This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, three amazing people. Brian Murray. Hello. Paul Jaceley. Hello. And Matt Horak. Hi. Thank you all for joining me. Matt, you are our super special guest this week. You are the first comic book creator that we've ever had on I Read Comic Books. Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, I am currently the artist on The Punisher for Marvel Comics, and I drew, do art for Earthquaker Devices, which is a guitar pedal company in Akron, Ohio, and I draw a comic based on those guitar pedals. <laughs> Hold on, there's a comic, is this what the, the Octoskull comic is that you have? Mm-hmm. Oh man, <laughs> that is super duper cool. Um, I did sit down to read that this weekend. Um, but let's actually get into what we're here to talk about, how comic books have been and how people have been on the show. Let's start with you, Brian. I've been good. Um, I've got married since the last time I was on this show. So that's Congratulations. Great. I went to Michigan for that. That was a lot of fun. They did. Beard and all. The whole, the whole package. <laughs> I've been getting some, uh, some, good, some good Spaceman comics lately. I realized as I was at the bar after the comic shop on Wednesday that most of the books I picked up were set in outer space (laughs) (laughs) i uh i picked up saucer state number one which is a new series about the president of the u.s having been abducted by aliens before she was president and then aliens show up at the end of the issue and it's it's weird (laughs) <laughs> so if I remember correctly, that's Paul Cornell is the writer, and he did it at Vertigo as Saucer Country, and it got canceled, and it's relaunched as Saucer State. And who's publishing it now? That is IDW now. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Because I read the Saucer Country, but I haven't picked up this new issue of Saucer State yet. Yeah, I read Saucer Country, too. It's good. It was very good. Yeah. I also picked up the new uh, Mass Effect Discovery comic, had a number one, and I would huge mass effect fan for better or for worse so that was kind of jumped off the shelf and into my hands uh aliens dead orbit number two um that continues to be a really great aliens comic they're capturing the the dread and despair of the alien the original alien very well uh, which is tough to do in a comic format and i really applaud them on that stoko yeah man yeah. james stoko yeah I love his stuff. Yeah, he's definitely killing it on this book. My uh, my my big pick and my my truest love of all my life. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Kate, if you're listening to this. Um, it's Star Wars. Uh, I've read Screaming Citadel number two and three, which is actually Star Wars number thirty-one and Doctor Aphra number seven. Hmm. But they're doing this super cool like horror and intrigue story set in the Star Wars universe, and. I'm all about using the Star Wars medium as a way to tell other stories. It's kind of something that like I wish they would do more of. Like, mm-hmm. you know, tell me a vampire story in Star Wars. Tell um, me Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in Star Wars, or <laughs> like a noir detective story. Like, yeah. you can do so many cool things. It doesn't all have to be the Skywalkers and their family bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> They're not so special. <laughs> chosen one schmosen one right. <laughs> oh that's who, great who wrote those and drew them uh dr afra is uh gillen and brocardo oh yeah and uh star wars is 
uh, Aaron and LaRocca. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jason Aaron and Salvador LaRocca. That is like a killer team. Absolutely killer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah J- I- Jason Aaron's kind of annoying. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because he keeps taking on new projects and they're always good. <laughs> so the best kind of annoying. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jerk is cutting into my spending money. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. Paul, what about you? Um, well, I recently moved to a new place, so I haven't had a ton of time to read a bunch of stuff, uh, but I managed to squeeze some stuff in this this weekend before we recorded. Um, I read The Shadow, Blood and Judgment. This is a four-issue miniseries by Howard Chaikin, originally published by DC back in 86, and uh, because Boom Studios now owns the rights, I think it's Boom. Now I'm, no, I'm blanking. It might be Dynamite. Dynamite. One of the I think two. it's Dynamite. Uh, they're related, right? Boom and Dynamite. Um they have the rights to the Shadow brand, so they republished this. It's been out of print for a long time. It's a Howard Chaikin comic from the 1980s. Um, it's not really politically correct at all, um, but it's a lot of fun. The layouts are amazing. Um, I think it's uh, I think John Workman is on letters. The letters and sound effects are just mind-blowing. I mean, this is peak Chaikin. It's really fun, uh, worth picking up, I thought. Um, Mother Panic number seven. Still really enjoying this series. Uh, it's a new story arc, so we have a new artist. It's John Paul Leone on art for this story arc. And uh, still enjoying this because it is kind of this weird anti-hero take on the Gotham Batman mythology in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Never quite sure exactly where the story is going, but it's a fun trip to read, at least. I also read Commandy Challenge number five, and this installment of the Commandy Challenge was written by Bill Willingham, art by Ivan Rice. Uh, again, Seeing creators who normally don't do this type of stuff go full Kirby on these characters and this concept is a ton of fun. Didn't really expect Ivan Rice to do this type of artwork, and it's it's really cool to see both Willingham and Rice and all these different creators on this book just try to out-Kirby each other. I absolutely love it because of that. And of course, the best book I read this week was Killer Be Killed, um, number nine. This book somehow issue to issue gets better and better, even though it gets sort of further from the concept it launched with. I like the way that uh, Brubaker is willing to kind of change the storytelling dynamic and have the lead character be sort of the sort of weird, unreliable narrator in a way and tell you stuff that he obviously didn't know at the time, but somehow knows now, even though he's, as he's recounting the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Sean Phillips is doing some amazing layouts. He's really changing his style with the page layouts and everything. It's still... I want to say it's the best book that they've done, but I know the next project that they do is probably going to be even better, just the way that their their their, their stuff goes. So I absolutely love this book still. Uh, I think the next issue will wrap up the current story arc, and I can't wait to see what they have planned. Yeah. Yeah, I read the first issue. <clears throat> I couldn't find nine. I don't. Uh, none of the local stores had it. Hmm. But uh, I don't remember that much about it. But yeah, <laughs> Phillips and Brubaker don't usually disappoint right exactly right and I, I picked up the first trade but i haven't had a chance to read it yet gotcha well i mean speaking of things that you've read matt what's what's been on your plate how have you been as well i mean your first time <laughs> on the show but how are you <laughs> i'm good busy i mean i'm drawing right now deadlines, deadlines always loom you know of course but um pretty good i squeezed in some time to read comics recently um I read Cankor, which is by Matthew Allison. And I don't know if you guys have seen this stuff or seen his work before. But it's no. weird, bizarre. Um, I want to call it body horror, but it's not really horrible. Okay. Like, I mean, it is horrible. <laughs> like, everything melts and, like, things 
slurp out of each other and uh, <laughs> character cankor yep. uh, rebirths and changes. So there's cankor, C-A-N-K-O-R. There's cankor, K-A-N-K-O-R, and so on and so forth. And there's a bunch of different versions of him. And it's just weird and psychedelic. And it reminded me a little bit of uh, Flaming Carrot or um, uh, Jim Woodring's Frank comics where things just happen and you're not exactly sure why. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, the Frank, Jim Woodring's Frank comics were silent, but this is like if, if Bob Burden, who does Flaming Carrot, were scripting Frank comics. Because weird okay. things are happening and there's all these, uh, like the, his character starts to metamorphose and the caption is, Hacha, this guy's physique is dope. <laughs> is that not how people talk yeah <laughs> with this setting of this weird this weird thing it's really good uh his drawings are really awesome too and i read uh four kids walk into a bank number one which mm. came out a while ago but uh i was a little late to it and it was really good too and uh really liked the way they used comics specific storytelling throughout like with the uh, captions on the uh the the characteristics of all the different characters yeah from, in the D game at the beginning and then throughout the story and uh the page with the uh the the fanta or whatever spills on their board and then there's the the uh japanese wave painting <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> It then shows up in the background of the scene that they're actually in. And it's just all these little things, little symbols and stuff, like really awesome stuff that that comics does really well that other media doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the story's good. This, the dialogue's really great. And uh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I kind of got to hang out with Matt Rosenberg in Chicago when I was out there for C2E2. And uh, next time I see him, I'm going to have to grill him about it like how much of that stuff did he put in and how much did the artist put in right mm-hmm. it's always always hard to tell but uh i also read no angel one and two by adrian and eric palicki and drawn by ari Ciara son sorry buddy <laughs> uh, by john paul zuka letter by jim campbell but it, w- it wouldn't be I read comic books if we didn't butcher somebody's name at some point. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for a while at conventions, I made a point of like, oh, yeah, ask him how you say his name. Uh-huh. You read it a hundred times and you just have to guess. Right. But uh, No Angel was, was pretty good, too. It's um, kind of hellblazery in a way. You know, it's um, angels and demons and, uh, you know, a normal woman who's um, – uh, FBI agent and was a war hero who's like dealing with uh, the murder of her father. Mm-hmm. And it involves angels and demons. And uh, the art took a, a nice leap in the second issue. I mean, it was solid in the first issue, but it kind of zeroed in in the second issue. And I think uh, really benefited from it. And it's good. It's a uh, reminds me of like a, a bingeable uh, TV show. Cool. So one of those doesn't appeal to me as much as the other ones that do stuff that's very comic centric, whereas No Angel kind of reads like an episodic thing, which is really good. I'd probably pick it up and read it later. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that what else did I read? I read something else. Oh, and I read John Carter, the end, which I found in the quarter box. John oh, Carter, nice. the one. <laughs> 
written by Brian Wood and Alex Cox, uh, drawn by Hayden Sherman, colors by Chris O'Halloran, who's my dude, who uh, colors uh, Octoskull. Uh, the book was fine overall. I don't really care about John Carter. I've tried a bunch of times, and it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't do anything for me. I like, I like the monsters and stuff, but but uh, yeah. But uh, the art was good, and the coloring was beautiful. And uh, yeah, shout out to Chris O'Halloran. <laughs> cool stuff, man. Nice. Oh, for me, this past week or so, I read a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I didn't list all of it because you know I didn't want to burden everyone with reading how many X Men books I read. But uh, you beat me to it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I did. I did read Seconds by Brian Lee O'Malley. That's uh, been sitting on my shelf for well over two years, uh, and I just haven't brought myself to read it for some reason. Uh, it was it was ultimately pretty good. I I kind of expected it to be snarky, kind of like how Brian Lee O'Malley's work usually is. But this book wasn't so snarky so much as it was him, I think, trying to do a non-traditional story with his own little cutesy, quirky characters. And I thought it worked. Um, the ending was kind of a bummer, and I don't want to completely spoil it for anyone, even though it's been out there for a while. But I was a little bummed by just the happiest of happy endings that the book got. Uh, but overall, I really liked the concept. It was, it was a pretty cool concept. And I, I think O'Malley really likes to play with the idea of the quote-unquote nega character, the like opposite character um, being a main part of the story. And mm-hmm. I, I really like the way that he did that in this book. I, uh, I crammed it too, actually. I'd, I'd been sitting on it for a while and hadn't read it. So uh, mm-hmm. seeing that you, you read it prompted me to, to, to burn through it. And yeah, it was good. I agree about the ending. Like, But I kind of felt like that's what was coming the whole time. Like, I kind of knew that like, the way the whole thing was set up that most likely it was going to get wrapped up pretty, pretty well for her, for the main character. Right. Right. Which was kind of a bummer. And yeah, I kind of was, well, yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much either, but <laughs> felt like there were no consequences for her doing what she did. Right. Which in, in a way kind of feels like Scott Pilgrim in the yeah. same sense where like, <laughs> no matter what this character did, they still ended up with this pretty happy ending. Um, yeah. Which just, I mean, maybe that's, that's not a bad thing, but I just, you know, you always kind of hope for more, like a more realistic, you know, actions have consequences kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I will mention too, that uh, that book seconds is also full of really awesome uh, comics, specific storytelling and things that only work in a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> That stuff always makes me makes me happy to see. Yeah, it read beautifully and it looked great too. It's a beautiful book. And this cartooning's so good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I also read Killer Be Killed number nine. Nothing more to say than what Paul said, really. That book is <laughs> somehow gets like so like amazingly better every month. I don't know how those guys do it. But then again, it's it's Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, so there's really no surprise there. Um, <laughs> other, uh, let's see. Otherwise, I did read Moon Knight 14. It was the last issue of Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood's fantastic, beautiful, absolutely perfect run on Moon Knight. I could not have asked for a better book in my entire life at all. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, this book is completely perfect. I don't care what anyone says. Frank Avia dropped in, James Stoko dropped in, uh, and Greg Smallwood's art is incredibly complex and very, talk very detailed. Annoying. Sorry, say so, that again? I said talk about annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very annoying in the same regard as Jason Aaron. Um, yeah. 
But wow, I just, I could not believe how fantastic this book was. They did some page layouts in this last issue that were just, I, I was reading it in digital like guided view and I had to pull out away from the guided view because I was missing so much of, they were doing this really cool thing where they were splitting the page in half and it was unbelievable, just very, very clever and well put together. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, totally agree. Same thing. Comics doing comic stuff really well. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, but finally, the last thing I read was Cable Number One uh, by James Robinson, pencils by Carlos Pacheco, uh, inks by Rafael Fantiras, and colors by Jesus Abertoy. Um, this it's another X Men book, so I'm sorry everyone who's been listening for the last couple months and all I've been talking about is X Men. Um, Cable Just shows up. That. That's <laughs> yeah. keep happening. <laughs> uh, Cable somehow shows up in the wild, wild west, and he's fighting outlaws with laser guns? Question mark. He's hunting someone. I'm hooked. It doesn't matter. It's Cable <laughs> hunting people through time. That's the whole story. I can get on sure. board for that. It's amazing. I dug it too. I'm a big Cable fan. I really like James Robinson's run yeah. on Cable before, so I was excited that he's back on it. Same here. Same here. Although the way you said that makes me want to see Cable in. Wild Wild West, the uh, Will Smith movie. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a whole different movie. Yeah. yeah. Been over much quicker, I think. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, let's move on. Comic books come out on June 7th, 2017. What are you all excited for? Let's start with Paul. I am excited for Black Bolt number two. This is the new Black Bolt solo series from Marvel, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Christian Ward. And if you missed the first issue, uh, the premise is basically that Black Bolt wakes up in space prison. He doesn't know why he's there, why he's been imprisoned, and he runs into uh, Crusher Creel, the absorbing man, who kind of becomes his sort of uh, sidekick in a weird way. It's this weird, like, mismatched buddy comedy set in space prison. Uh, <laughs> And uh, a spoiler alert, I guess, for the end of issue one, it turns out Black Bolt's powers are no longer effective, so there's really no way for him to escape space prison. Uh, this is a fantastic book. Black Bolt's one of those characters I always want to know more about, but I don't really feel like diving into a lot of Inhumans or Marvel event stuff. So it's nice that it's a solo series, separate from everything else. Um, Ahmed's writing is really great, and Christian Ward's artwork is fantastic. He's yes. doing this sort of like psychedelic... Kirby cosmic artwork there the colors that he picks that he does are just you know neon pink and like electric blues it looks like it's a mind searing psychedelic cosmic artwork and it's fantastic so I really liked issue one I'm very excited to see where the book goes from there me too yeah man awesome Brian what about you my pick coming up this week is predator hunters number two um when I read the first issue, I wasn't sure if there, was, if there was supposed to be a colon in that title or not, so I wasn't totally sure what I was getting. Uh, turns out it is actually <laughs> people who hunt predators. Right. <laughs> so it's it's a, a ragtag band of badasses who have all encountered and dealt with the predator species at one point or another. And they're all kind of like getting the band together to go and put some hurting on the predators for once and somehow they survived that's the funniest craziest thing about this book to me I, I i'm not reading it but the concept is like somehow these people survived predators in the past and that blows my mind like that already puts you in the elite of the elite yeah i mean and, and like looking back at it like half of them did it out of luck but <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> but it's gonna be really fun to see how they can uh 
totally screw this up and get themselves killed one by one by the predator because <laughs> that's what the predator is. Mm-hmm. So is that art is Francisco Ruiz Velasco? Yes. That's a guy yep. that did, um, didn't he do that? Um, Lone Wolf and Cub 2020 or something like that. Oh, he might've. And, uh, I, what was the, um, Aztec fighting comic? Do you remember that from, Dark Horse back in the day that I think he drew as well. Boy, no. I have never heard no, of that. No. What's it that called? sounds awesome. I can't remember. But yeah, I like his art. I like Chris yeah, Warner. It's just really good. Yeah, Chris Warner is the uh the writer on it. It's just it's so like pulpy and ultra violent. Like <laughs> like you'd expect from a predator book. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind of a buku age for uh for the Late late eighties, early nineties, space alien monster invader movies. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Matt, what did you read? Or, or I should say, excuse me, what are you excited for this week? Uh, Baby Teeth number one, which is uh, <laughs> written by Donny Cates and drawn by Gary Brown. Yeah, Donny keeps putting out good books. Every time I see him, I did a I did a strip with him called Space Stepdad that ran in the uh, letters page of. Uh, <laughs> Paybacks, hell yeah, yeah, with uh, <laughs> Donnie and uh, Elliot Rahal, and uh, yeah, I uh, Donnie sent me the PDF. It's really good, so I guess I'm not excited for it. I mean, I'm still excited, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've already read it though, so you know you can already guarantee that it's really good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, Donnie's just really good at the at the he's good at first issues. I thought it was a really good first issue. So totally, and. Uh, um yeah he's uh he's a funny guy i hung out with him a bunch at uh c2e2 as well and uh he was telling me some of the other stuff that he's working on coming up and that's really exciting too so secrets yeah oh man (laughs) on the horizon Hmm. that's exciting i i pretty much pick up any book that he writes at this point like yeah. he sold me with buzzkill way back right you know when that book came out at dark horse and since then it's like i'm willing to try a number one and like you said he writes stellar number ones so of course i get hooked yeah it's really problematic for my fucking wallet yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> right and he just keeps coming out with more yeah <laughs> but uh i yeah i mean i'm really happy for him it's it's good to see especially you know I th- i've always thought his stuff is good and he also he picks really good artists. I mean, maybe I'm biased. Yeah. He worked with me too, but <laughs> but uh, I, I think that helps him too. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of people could learn from that, like other creators, writers. I know everyone's trying to do it, and especially when you don't have a budget to like pay an artist to work on your pitch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be tough to get a good artist, but uh, I don't know. Donnie well, Gary Brown, he's a treasure. Yeah, I can definitely say that. Well, it's. I mean, I you, you never know, and that maybe could, is something we could talk about about as far as making comic books goes. Uh, like, I always wonder for these pitches. Like, did Donnie pitch it with Pages? Had Gary Brown already worked on Pages, or did he pitch it as a concept and then they found an artist? I always wonder that with some of these books, like um, No Angel. Mm-hmm. I was saying that the uh, art took a jump in the second issue and I was sitting there thinking, well, that might be because he drew the the artist drew that first issue two years ago or something like Mm. that. Two years before he drew the second issue. 
Right. So they drew a pitch and shopped it around and it got picked up and then it gets scheduled and then, you know, so on and so forth. So definitely the, uh, and, and I'm seeing it with uh, Punisher too, like just the, uh, the scheduling ahead of time and, and to, to make a comic come out is so arduous that, uh, and I, and, and, and I see people get mad. I mean, I've never been one to get mad about books being late or being rescheduled. I understand getting upset about it, but uh, sometimes I feel like people don't don't understand how long <laughs> it takes to make a comic book. You know, <laughs> right, right. right. Huh. Yeah, well, I, we'll so, we could definitely. I mean, like, we should totally get into this like super deeper in the next in the next half. I only want to just talk about Iceman. So oh, hold on yeah, one second. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my pick for this for this week is Iceman number one, another X Men book. I'm sorry, everyone. Like I said, this is just going to keep happening until Marvel stops putting new number ones out. Uh, Cena Grace, uh, Andrea v, uh, Andrea Vitti, who also worked on Marvel's Secret Warriors with Jonathan Hickman, which is like one of my favorite runs of a non X Men book in a very long time. Uh, Vitti's art is something like I really just really loved. I remember him being the like my favorite artist on that run. Um, and of course, this is just another X Men book, and it's all about Bobby Drake trying to figure out who he is now that this younger Bobby Drake has come back from the past. And he's better put together and he's more comfortable with who he is. And so it's just going to be a bunch of, who am I, throughout the whole book, which will be fun. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, Matt. I, just, we, I totally want to talk about this more because I think it's, it's super exciting stuff. Um, but X- Iceman, man, that's my life. X-Men and all that yeah. stuff. Do you mean to tell me there's going to be an existential crisis in an X-Men book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, really? Don't don't fucking tease me, Mike. I've been waiting my whole life for an X-Men book that's all about discovering yourself. Right, yeah. <laughs> Do you know if that if it's uh is it is it focused on grown grown Bobby? Yeah. It's specifically about the like the elder, I guess the older Bobby or the quote unquote present Bobby um, yeah. kind of coming to terms with who he is now that there's been this whole change up where, where um, he has finally admitted to himself that he is gay and he's trying to figure out th- like how that works in his life because he's had nothing but failed relationships for forever. And it's, it's well documented. I think Marjorie Liu actually tackled a lot of this. Um, not him being gay, but him, all of his failed relationships in the run that she did on Astonishing X-Men right near the tail end of that series. There was a whole arc about how Bobby Drake just cannot keep a solid relationship, whether it's friends or with women or whatever. And I think they're taking that point and they're running it like deeper with him realizing, oh, maybe it's not because I didn't, you know, I couldn't relate to these women or couldn't work well with these women, but mostly because I wasn't actually attracted to them. Uh, I think that's the point that this book is taking. And with Cena Grace on it, given some of the stuff that he's written elsewhere um, at Image, I've read some of it, uh, it should be pretty good. I I mentioned thick boys in my description. I don't know if it's actually going to be about that, (laughs) but... So Matt, you're here on the show. We're gonna ask some standard, you know, Q and A questions just to get the ball rolling, and then we'll move into all the crazy shit. Like I said earlier, I do want to talk to you about Octo Skull, but let's start with the very basic, the question everyone wants to know: How did you get into comics? What got you from, you know, being some random person in I think you said Ohio or wherever 
to you know drawing the Punisher? How did how, how what's that timeline look like? <laughs> well, I you know I I always like any kid you like to draw, and uh, I just kept doing it, and I guess I was kind of good at it, and uh, started to see comics and drawing books, and uh, just kept devouring it as much as I could until surprise sometime around 12 or so deciding, well, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to try and do it and started going to conventions and showing my stuff around and, uh, you know, doing sample scripts and working on some of my own projects and, uh, you know, went to art school and stuff like that. But, you know, that was in the nineties. So there wasn't a lot of in art school, they want you to do art, capital A art, not (laughs) (laughs) different now. There's a lot more schools that actually treat comics like art, but, um, right. So, but still kept trying to do comics all along. And, uh, eventually I kind of dug my heels into, to really try and get, get it going. Like this, this needs to happen. And, uh, I had made friends with P Craig Russell and um, who lives in Kent, Ohio, near Akron, in me, where or in me, where I am, and, uh, and was talking to him, showing him my stuff, and and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next to try and get a job. And he suggested adapting something because he adapts operas and Oscar Wilde. So I transcribed an episode of Thundar the Barbarian. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and adapted that into a comic. All right. Yeah, and I made little mini comics of it and would go to conventions and just give those to everyone that I could think of, you know, and use those as samples. Because drawing, like, Marvel sample scripts wasn't getting me anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, trying to work on my own thing by myself was just too much. I couldn't get enough work done because I just couldn't, you know, it's just just a lot. Yeah. And uh, so I gave one of those to Rob Liefeld, and he liked it. And I asked him if he ever thought about rebooting Rejects, because this is... uh, so this is right around when Profit reboot, the Profit and Glory, and all those reboots came out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was like a twenty-year span between when I started trying to do it and then this. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah, long time. And you know, I I hit it a little harder at certain times than others. And you know, I got into music and stuff. So yeah, in the meantime, I got I started working here at Earthquaker Devices first, like building pedals and then doing art for them. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do over Earthquaker devices? It's you said guitar pedals and stuff, right? Yeah, like distortion pedals and delays and reverbs and any any kind of crazy sound you can make a guitar or any instrument make. And my buddy Jamie Stillman started it in his basement and it just kept going and building and now we have like 60 some employees and a huge facility and wow. Wow. It's pretty bad. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was looking through the roster. I just want to note on this before we move on. Danny Camborelli was one of the people that he's yeah. like totally loves your pedals. And if, for anyone yeah. who doesn't know, that's the kid from Pete and Pete, he, the Adventures of Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon in the '90s. So I just I was just scrolling through the list just to see like who was involved and stuff. I just I was a total shocker for me. I didn't realize that he had a band and he you know used your pedals. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, he's a big he's a big uh, friend of Earthquaker. That's plays awesome. all the time too. Yeah, so I uh, I was working at Earthquaker and uh, sh- talked to Rob about rebooting his character's rejects, and we talked about doing that and it didn't work out. And then he, out of the blue, got a hold of me and said he wanted me to draw something for him, and that ended up being the Covenant that came out from Image. So that was my first like real deal uh, published 
paid book. Very nice. And and I don't know if anyone knows the covenant, but that was the uh, Rob Liefeld sword and sorcery Old Testament Ark of the Covenant story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I knew the name. I knew I've seen covers for it, but I didn't yeah. know that it was <laughs> Ark of the yeah. Covenant. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. If, I mean, obviously, I loved all the image stuff when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. So if you had told me back then that my first real job would be a Old Testament. Uh, violence story written by Rob Liefeld. Was there a set number of like pouches you had to include or anything like that? No, I kept trying to put them in. <laughs> I, I wish I would have done it more. I wish I would have totally re- like, I should have just abandoned like Old Testament tunics and stuff from the get and just made everyone look like some weird Kirby Mobius Liefeld dystopia <laughs> you know what that would have been a huge selling point for me yeah. I would have picked that book up yeah uh, Rob never said no to anything I asked him to do that was awesome. super cool yeah, yeah. And there's a there's an homage to uh, the uh, cable cover in the uh, issue <laughs> of course I put giant shoulder pads on a guy <laughs> um, there's also uh, one of the very first things that I drew on the first page. I think it might've been the first panel on the first page that I drew was a close up of feet. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Right. That's wonderful. Classic. So uh, just to, to cap it off. So Covenant came out and then I did, I pitched Octoskull based on our guitar pedals to the people here at Earthquaker and they thought it was a cool idea, the thing to do. So we did it. And then I had, over time, I had like developed some relationships with some Marvel editors and stuff, and uh, they really responded to the Octoskull pages and uh, kind of knew they would probably be offering me something after New York Comic Con last year. And then I got an email that said Marvel gig ASAP, and it was uh, Steve Dillon was sick and behind, and they needed somebody to to get the book back on track. So I was all excited. And uh, to, to get the Punisher back on track and uh, mm-hmm. went to bed, woke up the next day and then saw that he had passed. And, I was, and oh, man, not, what does this mean? Do I really want to do this even? You know, that's yeah. a crazy thing. And so they got a hold of me, said, sit tight. We're going to figure out what, we, what, what, what what's going on. And uh, eventually they decided they wanted me to go ahead and do it. So I did it. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, I will say... You know the transition of between art was wasn't necessarily tough by any means because I think you definitely adapted his style enough to to make the transition work. And now it's it, you know a couple issues later, I think you've definitely made it your own. So I will say like I've thoroughly enjoyed your work on the book. Like even coming from Dylan, I mean that's that's a really high bar to me. I think you've done a fantastic job keeping up with it. I just want to say that I, I don't know if you listen to the episodes, but I do praise it because that book is killer, like literally killer. It's fucking over-the-top insane. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I've listened to the episodes because, of course, I was uh, Googling to try and find reviews and stuff. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> still, I'm still new enough that I'm doing that. Yeah, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm glad you found us because that was like, I think you sent me a message at, at some point. You're just like, hey, thanks for that. I was like, how the fuck did he find this? Like, because we're, I don't know, <laughs> our show's pretty, pretty okay size, but I don't think it's anyone, like on really anyone's radar outside of our immediate friends. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you were able to find it. 
But speaking of all Octoskull, um, I don't know about Paul and Brian, but I did sit, I sat down and read it, and like that book went a thousand places. Like I thought it was just going to be like some dude beating up some mystical beasts, a la you know He Man or something like that. And then it's yeah. just like, no, we're in space, motherfucker, and I, my brain just exploded. Like the yeah, end of that yeah. book was insanity. Like yeah, where, where it's, that- it's like. It's like we're Conan the Barbarian, and then we're twenty thousand leagues into the sea, and then we're two thousand one a space odyssey. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, I like that. In twenty odd pages. Well, then it got like really <laughs> crazy, like Kirby S. There's like this giant god celestial being in space, oh, yeah. and like they end the end pages where it's like <laughs> it's it's Octoskull and his robot sidekick like fighting space demons. Like that's where where, where are we gonna get? When are we gonna get more of this book? That's all that I want to know. <laughs> We're shooting for issue two to start serializing on the Earthquaker Devices website in July. Okay. So, knock on wood, we, we, we get there. I mean, I've been pr- pretty busy doing Punisher, so I'm trying to squeeze in pages of Octoskull when, when I can. Right. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have the second issue start online in July. Gotcha. Awesome. So where did where did the con- you said that it, so it's the story is based around like the pedals that you know you guys sell like how does yeah. how does that relate into the book and like how did you go from like okay you've got an idea into writing it and drawing it because I saw there's three names listed there's yours and two others um, who yeah. all does what on the book uh, I wrote it and drew it uh, Chris O'Halloran colors it and um, Crank is our letterer <laughs> gotcha so, yeah so I took. I had had, I'd been working at Earthquaker for a while and, and doing the artwork for the pedals and merch and stuff like that. And a lot of our pedals have really um, just really evocative names like the depths and Fuzzmaster general and the dunes right. orbiter, <laughs> all these things. And I thought, you know, I could turn these all into characters and, and stuff. So I had kind of been mulling the idea around in my head and I pitched it to the, the owners and they were down. So I sat down and just kind of, took all the pedals and just like kind of decided what they would be Mm -hmm. and then just kind of tried to outline it to just get as many in as I could and make it have some kind of coherent narrative. Right. And like a couple things like clicked into place really quickly and it just kind of like all fell into shape. And so luckily I think that's why the stuff you're talking about, how it goes all over the place and is kind of bonkers is, is, is a result of that and also probably wouldn't have worked if I hadn't like backwards engineered it like that. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's interesting because I was reading it and I had the same response. I had that sort of Kirby feel where you're jumping from one concept to the next very quickly. Yeah. But I also noticed that on the website, on the Earthquaker device website, you have a soundtrack for the comic as well. Yeah, yeah. And it really fits, the music and the comic fit perfectly together. I really enjoyed that. I guess I'm curious, uh, the soundtrack came later after you'd written the comic, or what was the relationship there? I I outlined it and laid it out, like did my page breakdowns, and mm-hmm. then um, broke it into, into chunks, and then like wrote just, uh, I wish I had it handy, uh, little short descriptions of, of different... Um, the different chunks and then just kind of drafted a bunch of people from the shop downstairs. Cause this place is full of awesome musicians and just gave them these little like short descriptions of these chunks and just, and showed them the layouts 
even though they, they couldn't tell what the layouts were, actually. I, they were totally, totally made sense right, to me, right. but uh, <laughs> most people were like, what is this now? <laughs> so then they just, everybody turned in tracks, and then uh, and it, it really worked out pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Okay, so like chunk one, the direction was mellow ghostliness to cutting howl and chattering. <laughs> <laughs> And then number two, the, the direction was seafaring bar vibes to danger beat drop with the sub. <laughs> but he kind of tried to make it like, you know, just to not give him a little direction, but not like completely constrain right. him. That's super yeah. cool. I'm glad you uh, listened to it and, and everything. That's awesome. Yeah, it fits really well together. I definitely uh, recommend if you uh, haven't read it, when you do read it, check out that soundtrack. So uh, is is that part of your creative process? Do you listen to music while you're creating or drawing or that influence your work? Mm-hmm. Podcasts and music. And I've been watching movies a lot lately. I have to watch a movie I've seen already, though. Otherwise, I start pay, paying too much attention. Right. right. So you're just watching like John Wick over and over and over, I'm guessing? <laughs> well, I found that like stuff with snappy dialogue and action is okay. best. The stuff that's like purely action, then I'm just drawing, listening to gunshots like for 30 <laughs> right, minutes straight. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> I really grew up, gained a new appreciation of Avengers Age of Ultron from Oh, yeah? This. Yeah. Yeah, because you can, uh, you know, it's got that fun dialogue that all those movies have. And you can kind of not pay attention during the parts where it lulls with like Hawkeye's family and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <and like, laughs> And then when the Hulkbuster Hulk fight comes on, you t- you can take a break and right, watch. right, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> That's cool. Sorry, I was just going to ask if you have like a like a standby movie you like to throw on in the background, or if you just kind of pick one at random. Uh, I go in. I go in uh, spurts. Like it was Age of Ultron for a while, and uh, then Rogue One and Force when Force Awakens came out, it was Force Awakens for a while, and then Rogue One. The Star Wars movies are all real good. I did a full rewatch of Star Wars recently too. Oh man, How, what Pretty order cool. did you watch it in? What did you watch the like the machete order where you skip the first movie but you watch four, five, two, three, then six? Because yeah. I've I have yet to do that. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I did. Uh, I had been watching Clone Wars a lot, oh, so okay. I kind of wanted to watch the prequels again. I hadn't watched them in a while, and uh, so I started there. I just started one, two, three, four, four, one, two, three. Rogue One, four, five, six, four, six. Oh, nice. Chronological. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And it's good. Those prequels have some good stuff in them, but boy, they're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So are you digging the the Star Wars series that's coming? I know you said like Jason Aaron is annoying because he's writing so many good books, but are you reading the ongoing Star Wars book? Um, Here and there. I I don't keep up on stuff a lot. I... I, uh, I gave up my pull list a while ago because I was, you know, trades were coming out of issues that I had never read. So I was like, okay, I'm just stop this. And uh, so I don't keep up on it. But if something lands in the quarter box or 50 cent box, I'll pick it up. So I've read a handful of issues here and there. A lot of it's really good. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Kudos to Jordan White, the editor at, at Marvel, who runs the Star Wars books, because I think they're all pretty, pretty good, the ones I've read. So is there any uh, books that stand out in your mind that you read maybe when you were a kid or younger? You mentioned being into the image stuff, obviously, but is there anything that really influenced you or stands out in your mind as maybe triggered this uh, desire to do comics as a profession? 
Um, all of it, but uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, um, Tintin was the first one of the first things that really inspired me. That maybe because I had read, you know, Garfield and Peanuts and stuff that was in the paper at that point. But I remember some of those books were around my grandma's house, actually. And uh, those, I was kind of like, oh, wow, you can do a lot, like a whole world. And on that note, there was a drawing books by Ed Emberley. Do you ever see those? The name sounds familiar, but I can't picture the artwork. They're usually, they're really, uh, everything's made of lines and simple shapes. <laughs> and uh, just step by step how to do it. And one was called, one in particular was called Make a World. And that shows you how to draw these little cars and boats and stuff just using like triangles and squares and and lines and circles and stuff and that kind of like clicked something about stylizing things and being able to create whole worlds <laughs> and uh so then then as i got older and got found more comics it was uh michael golden micronauts art adams x-men annuals and <laughs> mike Mignola, rocket raccoon and the uh you know his other everything else he did around that time Mm-hmm. were probably the first three guys that really like got my attention and the official handbook of the Marvel universe. <laughs> right, <laughs> of right, course. Right. I actually have a, um, I started a sketch, or actually I have two of them sketchbook of, I took the uh, characters from the handbook, the deluxe edition from the eighties and wrote them down in the sketchbook in the same order they appear in the handbook. And then I have mm-hmm. people pick who they want to draw and do a handbook style entry. Of the, oh, that's awesome. of the character. That is a sick idea. Yeah. Holy cow. There's a hand. I tried to, I started scanning them and, and posting them. So if you go to Ohatmu Tumblr dot Tumblr.com, there's a handful of them up I'll, there. I'll put a, sh- a link to that in the show notes. I'll have to nice. get like the official URL for that. Yeah. Official. O H O T M U. Yes. Official handbook of the Marvel universe. Oh, gotcha. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. That was my jam. In fact, that, that Kankor comic that we talked about earlier has a handbook entry in the back of it. Oh, nice. So you're drawing Punisher right now. Um, you know, say, you know, this Punisher run, you know, goes for another hundred issues, fingers crossed. Right. Um, what's, uh, if you had to draw something else at Marvel or even DC, say you move on, what's, what's the next like big property you'd want to draw? Well, Star Wars would be awesome. I think mm-hmm. Marvel now. I would love to do some Star Wars stuff. Uh, I, I, I am a fan of the cosmic stuff. I really loved uh, Annihilation and all that when the Guardians team first oh, came around. Yeah. I always dug all that stuff. Um, so I'd love to do And cosmic stuff's just fun. Like uh, talking to Donnie, he was telling me about one of the projects he's working on now. And he's like, yeah, there's not a regular human in the entire first five issues. I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> draw monsters. That's one thing I, I noticed and liked in Octo Skull was the shot of the like outer space bar with all like the cool wacky aliens in there. There's a bunch but, of cameos in those pages. Oh really? I didn't. I didn't. I must not have looked very closely then. Yeah, and the I, in the bar, the bar where he meets the uh, Captain Black Eye and gets the ship. There's some cameos in there too. Um. I should do a uh, I should do a scavenger hunt contest or something. <laughs> yeah, I think that my attention was just drawn by the the uh, big woman with the chicken head. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's one of them actually. That's Ryan Brown. That's oh, from yes. God Hates Astro. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Guess I'm gonna have to go read that now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. See, there's that uh, 
that Art Adams, Michael Golden coming through where I just got a bunch of extra junk mm-hmm. everywhere. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, you go, you went to C2E2 recently, um, which I unfortunately didn't go to. I'm really bummed because that's like been my go-to con for the longest time uh, up until I moved to, to New York. Um, and mm-hmm. I, so what's the convention experience like for someone like who's going there as an artist? I, you had a table, I assume? I did, yeah. Oh, so what's what's it like being there like all day? I know I know the the go to is like it's exhausting, but uh, other than that, I mean, you said you got to hang out with, hang out with some creators. Like, what's your reg- regular schedule when you're at the con? Well, for years, like in the years I was handing out the uh, Thundar comics, I would just go and wander, and I would just have a, a shoulder bag full of those books and just walk around and talk to everybody. And I, you know, I got to know a lot of guys and became friends with a lot of guys. So I'd crash at their table for a little bit. And there was, you know, I'd get a table once in a while and there was really no reason because no one knew me or cared that I was there. (laughs) Which is sometimes good because you can still get yourself in Mm -hmm. front of people and editors walk around the artist alley and meet people and stuff too. But uh, now it's, uh, it's like slowly, each con I do, it's slowly picking up. I'm getting more commissions and more people interested in what I'm doing. So that's really cool to actually go to a convention and, and make money rather than lose money. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. There's really not many other comics people around me that I ha- I can talk to about stuff. So it's it's always nice to get to go to conventions. And I'm starting to get invited to them now. And, right. And, and, and mm-hmm. so that's nice. So I get to go to a, a few more. I actually got invited to India. Really? Wow. Yeah. I passed on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a trip, right? Yeah, and I'm already doing a bunch of shows, and like, I just couldn't do it. If if I didn't have to go by myself, I would essentially be going by, I, I maybe would have done it. But uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Cons are fun. At the, uh, I'll take a, tell a quick uh, Chicago story. Oh, please. I got invited to the Marvel party. I don't know if you guys know about the Marvel party at these, like New York and, and Chicago the bigger conventions where there's a bunch of the editors and stuff there and a lot of their artists and writers, they'll have a, usually on Saturday night, they'll have a, a dinner and open bar thing for Marvel creators, but it's usually just at a regular bar and it's, it's for Marvel until this time, like 11 o'clock or whatever. And then anyone can go in. So okay. me and my non Marvel friends would go and hang out in the front of the bar and wait till we're allowed to go talk to our other friends and, and, and try and schmooze some Marvel <laughs> people and stuff. So I've been doing that for years. And then this year I got invited to the Marvel party since I'm working for Marvel now and uh, was getting ready to go to that party and like ran into Matthew Rosenberg and some other Marvel guys and, Pretty soon, me and Matt realized that uh, we're the only ones going. Like everyone else, is like, nah, I've gone. I'm not going. We're going to dinner another place. <laughs> Matt, well, he just got invited because he just started working at Marvel pretty regularly too. Right. Well, we're invited. We got to go. Like, okay, well, let's go together because you know, then at least we're not walking in by ourselves. So we go and we walk to the to where it is, and we walk in, and there's no one there yet. <laughs> And, oh man! Oh man! We're a little bit early. Go, go, go! Leave, leave, leave! <laughs> like waiting there when the rest of the people get there. So we left and like walked around the corner and hung out at another bar so we could show up fashionably. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up being fine. Like we were both worried. Like we're not going to know anybody, and it, it was fine. Everybody who works at Marvel is really awesome. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So I mean, you, sorry. Yeah, you mentioned uh, so the process of making Octo Skull. I imagine making the Punisher is a pretty different process. You want to. 
maybe give some insight with that, what your relationship with Becky Cloonan is as the writer and what that's like. Is it the Marvel method or is it something different? No, it's a, it's pretty much a full script, but her scripts are pretty sparse. It's, it's, it's really only the information I need. There's not a ton of like Alan Moore style descriptions of every knickknack on the bedside table or anything like that. Right. Um, I haven't had too much interaction with her. Um, I'm going to be going to Idiot Fest in uh, the Bay Area coming up in a couple weeks, and she'll be there, so I'll get to talk to her there, which will be fun. Nice. Um, but yeah, I get a script and read it through a few, print it out, read it through a few times, and then like start to get a feel for how I want to lay it out and lay it out small and blow it up, print it out and draw it. And um, mostly traditional still. I don't, I, I do scan and, and set up my pages in Photoshop and print out blue lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I do my inks traditional and I still do my layouts traditional too, although I'd like to get away from that. Yeah. So speaking of that, like your, your, your drawing style and every, I guess your whole process, could you walk us through like what a, what a typical pages work like how much work you put into a typical page from like you've got the script to the end product. Yeah. I mean like even going into yeah. like what kind of like tools you use. Cause as a person who doesn't draw comics or doesn't really know too much about the art part of it, like um, do you have a specific type of pens that you use and, and, and things like that to ink? Um, and if you have to do coloring, how do you do coloring or what's your preferred method? Uh, I don't color very often when I do, I use Photoshop, but um yeah, I take the script, read it through a few times, and once I start to picture pages in my head or like figure out like beat-wise how many panels per page and all that stuff, I start laying it out. I, I print out a, a template that has 20-plus tiny pages on it, page templates, and I just go through and, and make the panel borders and just tiniest little stick figures just to get the beats of where everything's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then I bump that up to a template that has four pages on it and I do um, layouts there with a little more refined pencils to just kind of set the stage and stuff and then I scan those take them into Photoshop and uh, rearrange them if I need to clean it up uh, put in the panel borders there and then print that turn that blue like a non-photo blue so after I ink it and scan it back the blue won't show up Um, Print that out, full full size, eleven by seventeen, and then pencil and ink it. Penciling, I use these Papermate mechanical pencils, like the just regular buy them at Walgreens or whatever. I just buy every bag they have after um, uh, back to school sales are done. <laughs> smart, <laughs> smart. Yeah, because they work pretty good, and 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 and. Uh, I don't, I don't do really, really involved pencils, so I, I keep my pencils pretty loose. And then for inking, I use a number of things, but my primary pen is the, are these Kuretake uh, felt tip. They call them brush pens, but they're really just markers. And it's got kind of a really fine point that if you can, you can lean on it and make thicker lines and s- smaller lines. So I can do quite a f- bunch of the different line weights I want to do with one pen. But I also use other brush pens and and these Posca Posca white paint markers that are awesome. I use those a ton. Once I started using white over top of my work, I, f- I feel like it took a, a step up. Hmm. Like I, I, I owe I owe working at Marvel to white paint pens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then scan it back in. Uh, 
clean it up, resize it, and then upload it to the Marvel server and then do the next one. <laughs> I had to try and lay out the entire issue in one shot, not like a, a batch at a time, just because I like to see how the whole thing flows. And I tend to, in general, try and work from the top corner, top left corner of a page to the bottom right corner, like first panel, and, and, and try not to jump around because it helps you keep things straight as far as the storytelling goes, but it also uh, keeps me on task and I can't just go draw the fun stuff and skip all the <laughs> right. boring stuff. So do you find yourself, uh, this is something that we, we always kind of speculate here on the show is, you know, you'll, you'll see um, some, in some books in general, you'll see like there will be nice, like really well-defined, like clearer, cleaner pages and like messier pages that seem like they were almost rushed. Um, yeah. Do you, do you find yourself working around in pieces and doing like random pages or do you try to work from beginning to end, like in chronological order of the pages? Yeah, almost always chronological order. In, in fact, if, unless there's a, I'm waiting on an answer to a question or something, I, I won't jump ahead to the point that I'll waste time trying to solve a problem that I could just move on and come back to later because I'm so obsessed with finishing each part one at a time. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but um, it uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it just makes more sense to me that way. Totally. I mean, I'm I mean, I'm not trying to like you know poo poo on any particular technique. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were saying the uh, rushing. That's another friend of mine brought that up. He's like, well, if you always, then always your last pages of your issue are going to be the ones that you're most rushed on. <laughs> and I, unfortunately, I've gotten to the point where I, I tend to not rush things too much. I just want to get them how I want to get them. And that just means I work longer, you know? And I mean, there's, there's little bits of rushing here and there, but I want things to be consistent. So, yeah. So, and sometimes the worst you feel and the worst you're drawing is in the middle of the issue. You know, sometimes, some days you just don't, you're just not feeling it, but you know, you got to pay, got to get a page done. So you're just slapping it on there and, and hoping it all works out. That's one of those things before I was doing this all the time that like people are always like, Oh man, congrats on Punisher. How, how, how are you enjoying it? And I'm like, Oh, I hate it. I hate drawing. <laughs> I'm tired of drawing. Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, sort of true, but not really. I mean, I'd much rather be doing this than almost any job, probably any job. Right. So, so the same the same way that Mike hates reading comic books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nothing. Nothing is fun when you have to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, I know we, you know, you, I think you, you've all, you do a lot of the covers and stuff like that for, for Puncher. You do like covers in general and for books. Um, when it comes to something that maybe you're not like directly working on, how does, you know, making a cover for that book work? You know, do they give you like, Hey, we want you to show these two characters doing something, or we need to make sure to show this object or in a certain light or a certain way. Do you get to pick like the design of a cover or, um, does, do they give you like specific direction for something like that? Sometimes there's specific direction, but um, I feel like nowadays in the uh, kind of covers that, that tend to get used, there's a lot of hero shots and stuff like that, real iconic shots, especially now that covers have uh, stronger design aesthetics on a lot of books than they used to, you know? Yeah. You just slap the logo on the top and, and that's it. But now there's, there's real, like for instance, I, I didn't do any of our Punisher covers, actually. Declan Shalvey did them all. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's yeah. doing the hidden skull. There have been some uh, some variants, but they have. I keep bugging him to give me one. But, <laughs> 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 but I am doing a cover coming up 
and um, they gave me almost no direction. They said, "Do just do something cool, you know, <laughs> go with it." And uh, for that, I uh, just kind of went with what the characters were like and kind of how I felt like they interacted. So I would say what it is, but I don't know if I'm supposed to say what it is. No, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but no, that's really cool. I mean, like if it's if it's if it's free reign. I I mean, in particular, when you said like it's all about design aesthetic, all I can think of is that Black Bolt number one cover. Uh, oh yeah, I, with the mm-hmm. black, you know, like the negative space being the jail. Like that's one of the coolest covers I've seen in a really long time. Um, and I mean, that book it relates to the story, sure, but it's also like if you yeah. didn't know what the book was, that's just something to draw your eye in. And I know we've done a couple episodes just about cover art in terms of you know what's the importance to it. If it's not telling you about what the book is, like does it really actually is it actually doing its job, or is it is it the point just to draw your eye in to get you to pick up the book? Um, which we've we've had a lot of debate about that. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Feel free to add you know anything, but yeah, ideally both. I'd say <laughs> yeah. I, I I like covers that are that tell you a bit about the book and but also are just look really nice and and uh, the um, for for the the cover I'm doing this time to I uh, I just did a bunch of different sketches, came up with some things and uh sent them in and they picked the one they liked and they actually picked the one that i i had like one left one template spot left on my page that i was doing them on and i was like well i'll do one more quick one and that's the one they picked (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) nice which is fine it'll be easier to draw than some of the other complicated stuff i came up with right right (laughs) maybe people can guess who it is what the book is but one of the covers was a Perfect Strangers homage, you know, cousin, cousin Balky and, uh, or cousin Larry, Balky Bartokovas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's great. Um, well, I think, I think we've, you know, we've been recording for a while, so I think we can wrap this up. Um, before we go though, I want to give you a chance to plug whatever you want to plug. I mean, obviously we've mentioned you've been on Punisher and Octoskull, but I mean, if you want to drop full URLs, anything you want, um, and then we'll get some credits for the show. So whatever, sure. whatever you want. Um, you can find me most places as Matt Horak, uh, Twitter. It's Matt Horak. Actually, Instagram, it's Horak Matt and Matt Horak.tumblr is my, my website. Gotcha. Uh, I haven't updated it a ton lately, but there is a bunch of cool stuff on there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Earthquaker comics or earthquakerdevices.com. And there's a comics tab. You can read the whole issue of Octoscall, or you can order a physical one, or you could buy a, flocked blacklight poster of the double page spread <laughs> uh the uh skeletons crawling out of the ground and octoskull fighting them yeah we need a cool oh. little metal rip right there uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah yeah that's i think that's the most of it and we'll also plug your official handbook of the marvel universe tumblr as well because that's oh, yeah. just plain cool now that's i gotta awesome. go put some on there i should make an instagram <laughs> and just take photos of it instead of trying to that would work you know, too that would work too. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, this has been I Read Comic Books. We're trying a new thing with the credits, so I'm sorry if I forget stuff, everyone. But you can find the the show on Twitter at IRCB Podcast. You can find Brian on Twitter at, at Brian Head. You can find Paul on Twitter at, at Ohi Pauly. 
You can find the website at ircb.us. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all the websites out there, except for SoundCloud because it costs a lot of money, and I don't want to pay for it yet. (laughs) Make sure to check out the Goodreads group on goodreads.com. We have a monthly book club that we keep up with, and right now we're in the middle of doing a several reading list. Xander Riggs is our editor. I am our producer and host, Mike Rappin. Special thanks to Brian Murray and Paul Jaisley this week for joining us on the show. And extra very super special thank you to Matt Horak for being here. This has been an absolute pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm super glad we were able to make this happen. Thank you. It was uh, fun. I like talking about comics. Well, you're definitely more than welcome to come back. Just shoot me an email. We will find a slot to put you on the show. Cool. To everyone out there listening, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been I Read Comic Books. We will catch you next week.